This is deep dish, right? Yeah, well, let's get deep. So, so I'm, I'm going deep on both sides. Andrew, man, welcome back to the platform. How you doing? Uh, it's good to be back. I'm doing good. I'm a little bit grayer, more grayer, gray than I was the last time I was here, but I'm back. <laughs> Politics to do it to you, man. <laughs> man. <laughs> but nah, man, welcome back to the platform. I'm excited to, to have you back in the space, man. So, to really just talk about, man, Tennessee, man, and what's kind of been going on uh, democratically, yeah, you know, in our state, man, and kind of your overall perspective having a different lens, being right in the mix, and just not in Middle Tennessee, but throughout all of Tennessee, from the suburban, rural, urban counties, man, and just getting your pulse on, yeah. like what needs to happen, what is happening, and then of course, like twenty twenty four is coming up, and. Man, what's your, what's your well, it's, takes, man? it's been it's been interesting since the last time I was here. Um, <laughs> oh, and congratulations on getting renominated as, as chair. <laughs> so that happened. Yes, so, that so, happened. So, that so, happened. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Um, it's been it's it's been an exciting, especially uh, the last six months. It's been pretty exciting. Obviously, there's been all this national attention that yeah. that uh, we're, that we're not used to but that we've been able to really capitalize on. Um, people in every corner of the state are fired up. Uh, the number of calls that I'm getting from people wanting to run for office, uh, the number of contributions that have come in, the number of new volunteer signups. I mean, there's a real energy out there that's, uh, that's real. Yeah. And, uh, and it feels good to be able to be in this role and to be helping to steer that energy uh, in a direction that's hopefully going to lead us to a more promising place uh, in uh, November of 2024. So what is the yeah, more promising place? <laughs> so, like, at the top of that national news, right, you have the Tennessee yeah. right? What is your, your thoughts um, and just overall perspective on what that has meant for the Democratic Party here in Tennessee, um, and what that has meant for democracy and the, the, the domino effect, right? We've seen nationally by states that have a majority Republican party. Yeah, or, or Republican supermajority. Super, supermajority, um, especially in our case, yeah. You know, the, what the Tennessee Three has been able to do for the state, uh, not just for the state, let me, let me say, for the entire South, is it has been able to put a spotlight on some of the most radical and extreme policies out there. Mm -hmm. um, Tennessee, in large part, has gone under the radar as a testing ground for a lot of the most extreme policies that Republicans have passed all across the country. This instance, um, with the expulsion of, or the attempted expulsion of three Democrats, duly elected Democrats, and then the uh, ultimate expulsion of two, Afri the, the two African-American members who were in that group, uh, what they were doing was trying to set a dangerous new presidency for other state-controlled uh, state Republican supermajorities to be able to wield that power and authority uh, to really, truly uh, curtail democracy in their states. Uh, having the Tennessee Three stand up uh, showed a sense of courage and, uh, and not cowardice. It showed that uh, those individuals went to the Capitol to do business on behalf of people. Yeah. And they were committed to that effort all the way to the end, not really worried about or concerned about, you know, if they were going to get expelled or censured or stripped from their committees or even reelected. 
uh, in that moment, they wanted to do what was right for people. And I think, you know, it, it just highlights what politics should be about and how our elected officials should be standing up and speaking out and making sure that when there is a wrong, uh, they do everything in their power to try to right it. So what the Tennessee Three has done for the national conversation, the conversation within the state, I think has moved us uh, light years ahead of where we had would have been if we would have just kept going uh, with the run of the mill type processes and uh, relationships and strategies that we uh, that we've been using for the last ten years since Republicans have been in control. What have you seen been like the ripple effect um, across the state? Um, some of those conversations with other community members that may not be based here in the capital city, but that Tennessee three we got them outraged in a good way to really want to do something, um, put some type of battery in their back, uh, or maybe on the reciprocal side of that, like did people get discouraged from that? Yeah. Uh, what was those conversations you had to get on the road in trying to build, you know, a democratic democracy yeah. um, and an equitable one for all of Tennessee? Well, I think Democrats have felt so beaten down over the last decade since Republicans have been in control. Um, the Tennessee Three standing up, I think, is a win for the party as a whole because it uh, it reignites that fighting spirit in people to want to be involved, to want to get engaged, to want to do more. Uh, when people feel as if, you know, we can't win or, or, or there's nothing worth standing up for, they're just going to roll over us, a, a moment like what we saw with the expulsions and then the ultimate re-election of those representatives, it gives people an opportunity to feel hope again. Yeah. And it makes folks want to uh, stand up and be involved and be engaged because they feel as if, you know what, if they can do it, then I can join them in that fight and join them in that effort. Yeah. Uh, for a long time, people have seen our elected officials, even Democrats, you know, kind of just go along to get along in this uh, super majority situation that we've been in. Yeah. So to have that, that fighting spirit rise up the way that it did right. and to have it play out on, on national television, even internationally, yeah. the way that it did, I think it gave people that sense of hope that you know there's something worth fighting for and it's better to be in that fight as a Democrat and with the Democrats who are standing up for the right thing yeah. versus on the sidelines uh, full of apathy. Man, I had a uh, representative Vincent uh, Dixie up here two a week and a half ago, right? And he pretty much painted it as it's it's us versus them. Yeah. Um right now in the capital, right at the state. It ain't no um whether it's good policy <laughs> that'll help both it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right? How do you as chair of the, of the state party, how do you build bridges at this point? Um in the state for, for, for your counterparts that are Republicans? Well, look, we are in one of the most hyper-partisan environments that, that I think has ever existed. Yeah. Um, there's going to be opportunities to work together on some things that's common sense. A lot of those will probably go under the radar. But on those major issues, those core issues, um, 
I, I don't think it is as important as trying to reach across the aisle and compromise our values as it is standing up and doing what's right when we know it's going to move the needle in the right direction for people. Yeah. Uh, on almost every issue, you know, there is a drastic contrast between Republicans and Democrats. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that, you know, we should be in the business of, in, of negotiating our morals and our values and the, and the, and the, 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 the livelihood of ordinary people. You know, nobody's life should should be you know shot, thrown like a a, 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 a pair of dice, and wondering you know what side is it going to land on? Is it going to be a winning winning role or a losing role? Uh, I don't think Democrats should be engaged in compromising our values. I mean, I just I just don't. Um, partisanship is uh, non part of uh, bipartisanship is great, yeah. but uh, but when those partisan walls come up and partisanship is guiding the conversation as to who is going to have better policies to help move the needle for ordinary people. Uh, I'd prefer to be on the side of the Democrats because we've been fighting for people. Right. Every policy that we've tried to put forward in this state especially has been a policy that can help better the life of ordinary people while Republican policies have done the complete opposite. So, you know, when there's opportunities to work together, yes, we should work together, but we should never compromise our values and uh, and what we believe in and how we believe our society should uh, operate. Have you had any of those conversations with, with Republican voting community members to try to get an understanding um, from their perspective of maybe why they are on this side of a, of a particular issue or those conversations just kind of moved at this point? Well, I hadn't, I hadn't personally gone out <laughs> and I hadn't personally gone out and, and, and had this, just random and I, I just, I hadn't gone out and made this, you know, this overreaching <laughs> outreach to, uh, to Republicans constituents, yeah. um, in, in hopes that they could, you know, see, see the wrongs and the eels on their sides mm -hmm. and try to correct it because we're out there right. preaching a very different message from what they're hearing. Yeah. Uh, in many cases, uh, we're pushing the truth. They're holding on to uh, to lies. Right. Uh, we're trying to move towards where we can protect the democracy. Mm -hmm. They're holding on to conspiracies that have helped to de uh, uh, erode our democracy. Yeah. So you know, I hadn't I hadn't made that outreach to go out and yeah. sit in front of a Republican crowd and try to convince them to to have common I, I just, sense. I just yeah. imagine Republicans <laughs> walk up and know, like, oh, this is the chair. Let me let me try to convince him. Well, <laughs> well that's. That's going to be a pretty hard task to, to do, but, but I haven't, also hadn't done it. But yeah. I do know that there are a number of issues, you know, take gun safety, for instance, where 80% of Tennesseans uh, believe that we need some type of common sense gun reforms that deals with red flag laws. Right. I mean, there are some areas where Republican voters agree with where we are on, a, on, on some issues. Uh, marijuana legalization, for yeah. instance. Now, there are representatives in the state capitol, you know, go in and vote even against their interests. So there are some opportunities and some issues that I think, you know, voting members of our society, Democrats, Republicans, and independents, can galvanize around. Right. Now, the politicians uh, who are representing these folks have their own agendas, and, and those agendas haven't been aligned with where a lot of these people are. But there hadn't been no, uh, there hadn't been any major outreach from me or the party towards yeah. Republicans. We did conduct a, a research project, though, uh, where we had a company crisscross the state 
interviewing focus groups. And some of those groups uh, were independent voters or you know swing voters. So they had some Democrats and some Republicans in them. And, uh, and the conversations were very interesting going back to watch them, but, uh, but there hadn't been any outpouring of outreach from us. Uh, we, we understand the policies that we need to put forward to move the needle for ordinary people, and we're going to put those policies forward. And we hope that uh, our neighbors, our class rate, cla classmates, co-workers, uh, friends, family members of Democrats, you know, realize that you know this is about more than just the culture wars that uh, that the extremist Republican Party have ignited. You know, this is about people's lives hanging in the balance. So, yeah. So at this point. What's the fight? Like, because now, like, you, you, you have a situation like Tennessee 3, it's national news. Clearly, you know, the Republican Party, supermajority, doesn't care. They still want to act and do what they want to do. We've seen this in a special session that just came out a couple months ago. From a, from a democracy standpoint and strategy standpoint, what do, do Democrats do at this point? Do you just wait and hold on until... You know, the wave of the supermajority is eventually like kind of voted out, or is it, you know, or is it something more proactive that those that identify as Democrats in the Democratic Party um, can, can strategically, strategically do um, in order to like create some type of equitable policy and healthy environment? Well, nothing changes until they lose. Yeah. I mean, they've got to take some. They've got to suffer some major losses right. before I think their caucuses in this state uh, wake up and realize that hey, we've got to change our tune. Yeah. Um, but for us, that means there's uh, a whole litany of things that, that we could be doing to help get us there. Yeah. I know a lot of people will say, well, you know, you got to run people in every race. That's what you got to do. It's a little bit more difficult than that um, because. In some of these districts, we could we could run a well-funded Barack Obama and still come out with a uh, Republican, probably 70-30. Uh, we've been gerrymandered to shreds in this state. That's why we're fighting in court right now. We're, we're waiting on a ruling that could possibly shift how our state house and our state senate mounts look. I mean, we've got to be given a fighting chance to get to a place where we can make progress. Uh, so it's not just going to be about just running people for office all over the state. We'll run people in every district and a ton of people will lose and Republicans will still be in the majority. Uh, we've got to make sure that we're making smart investments locally. We've got to make sure that we're connecting the dots so that when people see what's happening on the local level, we have Democrats serving in local roles who can take credit for that and who can really push the narrative of what is possible when Democrats are empowered to be able to lead. Uh, but we also have to make sure that we're in a position where we're not just what they call off years, where there's no uh, major elections happening, but our campaign to win the hearts of voters, it has to be ongoing every single day. We've got to wake up and go, we got to go out and win the hearts of people to our party. And for us, that means making sure that we're running an awareness campaign where people know what's happening in the state capitol, uh, know the fringe policies that the Republicans have tried to put forward, know the harm that a lot of these policies have done to the communities uh, uh, and, and the people who they represent. So it has to be a layered uh, approach to how we get there. And I think it's got to be an all hands on, on, on deck approach. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no one sided 
or no or, or no one organization that can get us there. Stakeholder organizations have a role to play. The state party has a role to play. Elected officials have a role to play. And then voters ultimately have a role to play in this. Uh, if people are waiting on the state party to, uh, to single-handedly come along and change the dynamic in this state, then we'll never change the dynamic. Everybody's got to be working in a cohesive way in lockstep moving towards one one direction and we've got to get out of this thinking that just running people for every office is going to get us there right. uh, it's not because you know we've been gerrymandered to shreds with, yeah. with surgical precision so yeah. it's going to take a litany of steps to to help move the needle for us in this state we're talking about recent elections here in nashville we just had like the, the major one the mayoral yeah. election which mayoral uh, elect Craig o'connell won that race um and in Nashville, because of the, the tension between the city and the state, um, the supermajority Republican Party, to be exact, in kind of their targeted efforts towards Nashville and Memphis, which you are from, um, you know, Memphis is not national, but we understand that. <laughs> That's a shot at Memphis. Yes, I just took it. I just took it. Or but, Nashville's <laughs> not Memphis. One, one, however you want to look at it. But, um, yeah, exactly. Um, People always talk about the next mayor and their relationship yeah. with the state and what that means or what that could mean. Um, what are your what is your what is your take on that? Um, and the importance of especially Nashville, which is a it's an executive mayoral city. The mayor has the power, um, the ultimate, the most power, decision making power for Nashville. It's a mayor led city. What does that mean for democracy in that relationship? Um, trying to build some type of olive branch for Nashville and, and the state to, to move things forward and everything not be preempted all the time when we're trying to get things yeah. funded and those type of things. That, what, what does that mean to you? What, have you thought about that as a party? thought about that? Yeah, well, for sure, you know, our big cities are, are where the people are. Yeah. I mean, you can cut it a thousand ways, but the people are, are, are near and around and on the outskirts of the cities. Um, what we do in the cities help to set the tone for what type of state we're going to be. Uh, regardless of how much the state try to preempt cities like Nashville and Memphis, imagine uh, the ruins that this state would be in if uh, cities like Nashville weren't moving the needle in the way that they've been moving it, in the direction that they've been moving it under pretty democratic controlled leadership. Uh, having a good relationship with the state is, you know, is imperative. Uh, I think I, I think that should be an essential goal of everyone involved in uh, an elected office. How do we how do we create cities that people want to live in? How do we create cities that are going to keep people safe? How do we create cities that where our children uh, are going to have fully funded educations? Now, what we have is a dynamic where you have uh, these Republicans who come from rural communities who love to come to Nashville to have a good time. But when it's time to vote on issues that are going to impact people who live in these communities, uh, all of a sudden there's this, uh, all of a sudden they despise uh, what the city is or what the city is trying to become. And they invoke these us versus them culture war type issues to help, uh, to help them make the case for why they're on the side of trying to hold a city back or to try to hinder a city's growth uh, because I, I don't know if it's because 
they don't live here, yeah. <laughs> or it's because they don't understand how uh, how life works in urban areas. But uh, at some point, the state has got to get off of its high horse uh, of the Republicans in the state legislature have to get off of their high horse of thinking that the conservative way of thinking and living is uh, is the way you impose law on folks who drastically disagree with with that with, with the policies and the ideals that the Republican Party has and they hold. I mean, look at Freddie O'Connell's victory over Alice Raleigh, Democrat versus a, a surely known Republican. And for the first time, the state party endorsed uh, Freddie O'Connell in that mayoral race because we understand that if we are going to create a space where people feel as if the Democrats are doing something or the Democrats can lead, then we've got to try to take ownership of our of, of situations where folks who are aligned with our party can be can be given an opportunity and have a space to say these are my ideals these are the values this is what I'm fighting for and they're in alignment uh, with what the Democratic Party is truly fighting for every single day so I, I'm glad that Freddie is uh, is going to be mayor of, of this city I think uh, the city's going to be in much better hands. Uh, with him at the helm versus Alice Raleigh uh, because we know the fear of having those relationships, having worked at the state legislature, having worked for the governor. Uh, you have to ask yourself who was going to be more willing to hand the city over on a, on a silver platter to yeah. the state. Uh, and we've seen, they've tried to take everything, every piece of power that the city has, they've tried to take it or, or alter it in a way to give radical extremists in, this, uh, in the Republican supermajority more authority over a city that they have no idea on, on how it operates or why it's making the decisions that it's making. Um, it's interesting that you say it because, uh, <laughs> again, talking to Vincent, Vincent Dixie, he was coming here just laying down gems about the, about the city about what's kind of going on in the state and just the importance of like people really understanding that like they are really like trying their best and he broke it down in this way he's like they was actually trying to pass a policy to where um it'll be a one-off with the mayoral race here in nashville where whoever got the majority of the votes would win yeah. and it would be no percentage i was like for real he's like yeah because ideally it's like you have all these democrats running against each other the Republican Party would put all that money and funding behind yeah. a common candidate like Alice, and then you you possibly get a yeah. you know Republican mayor in Nashville. And so him breaking that down, but then we know like they're really like trying to be strategic in that way and whatever they can um, to take over um, a city like Nashville in that yeah. type of way. And, and we've seen the dangers of that. I mean, you. I mean, there's a there's an election happening in Memphis right now for mayor. Yeah. Uh, Memphis doesn't have a runoff, yeah. uh, so someone's going to end up representing the city who may not even get a, a sliver of the majority of the vote, yeah. uh, just enough to one more than the guy who got the man or woman who got uh, the, less than them. Yeah. Um, wow, that creates a dangerous precedent. I mean, in, in a place like Memphis, it's been more racial. Because you have a you know you have a slew of black candidates running, and then you have a white candidate who comes in and and becomes a, usually the Republicans' uh, a favorite, and then that and then they become mayor, and those policies don't reflect the needs of the city. Yeah. Uh, once I think once you get rid of a runoff, 
uh, election, then you create that same scenario here. Uh, but from a Democrat versus Republican standpoint, yeah. most, and we saw how many Democrats were initially in the race for mayor yeah. in in Nashville. Imagine that race not having a runoff. Yeah. Um, it, it would have been it would have been a very different outcome in, in my opinion. It yeah. could have been a very different outcome. I'm glad you missed the word black because <laughs> we got to talk about it. We got to talk about it. Um, and race and what it means in politics, especially in a country like the United States. Yeah. Um, I get the post um, that many black folks um, are losing a little bit of faith in the Democratic Party. Um, they see Joe Biden and say, "Man, you know, you know, you you already told us that we didn't vote for you who wasn't black. <laughs> you already told us that." But then it's like, "Dang, what 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 can you do?" What have you done? What are you going to do for black folks in this country? Um, and then you, you you see the man. I'm gonna just gonna go over Trump. Trump is you know what I'm saying yeah. he's gonna at least he's gonna speak it the real and not lie. He's gonna call it what it is because we haven't seen from a Democratic Party an an intentional effort to do something exclusively for black folks. Yeah. Um, historically, you get our vote because majority of black people still vote Democrat, but then like we don't get anything tangible. Yeah. Being a black man, being the first black African-American party chair of the state party, what do you say to those folks? What is your own perspective on that? And, and how does that keep you engaged and motivated to sit in the seat um, that you currently sit in? Well, I, you know, I'm looking forward to President Biden and Vice President Harris being reelected. I think uh, President Biden has been a consequential president, especially when it comes to issues that the African-American community uh, have, have faced. I mean, he's built the most diverse administration that, that, that any president has ever built, with more black and brown folks in his administration than any president before him. He's appointed more black judges to the bench, uh, federal judges to the bench, than any president before him. Uh, on almost every policy issue, he has attempted to move the needle for the black community, whether it's the George Floyd Policing Act or whether it's uh, the Voting Rights Act that they try to, to move the needle on to level the playing field that it, so that everybody has a fair shot and an equal opportunity um, on, on health care, on climate, on education. Think about what's happening right now with this uh, $2.1 billion that's owed to, uh, to, 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 to TSU. Uh, it's Joe Biden's uh, education department and agriculture department that's out saying these HBCUs, and not just TSU, but these HBCUs have been shortchanged over, uh, over, over a number of years, over decades. So he has been fighting to move the needle for African-Americans and black people in this country. Now, is it at the pace that we would like? It's, it will never be at the pace that we would like. I would like for you know, more to be done right now. But I think if we're, if, if we're measuring his uh, success and uh, uh, injection of federal uh, policies that are going to move the needle for black people against former presidents, yeah. uh, I think he's probably got probably one of the most stellar records. Um, now, there's more to do. And Democrats in the Senate and the House have got to be on board. We know that some of those policies that President Biden wanted to push forward that would have drastically changed the lives of black people in this country. You know, they were stalled out because of, of, of two Democratic senators who weren't on board with the slim uh, majority that we had in the United States Senate. So we've got to do more to send more help to the United States Senate, 
make sure that we can win back Congress, uh, the House, so that so that we can continue down the path of pushing, putting forward, and pushing some of the most uh, some of the most drastic policies, uh, some of the most consequential policies that any president has ever put forward to try to move the needle for the black. Uh, for, for the black community across America. So what do you say? I don't think we ever talked about this, which is crazy. But what do you say to that to that potential black voter that say, man, look, I get local elections, but at the presidential level, man, they don't never do nothing. Why? This this Republican, this Democrat, and then this black. You yeah. know, and, and, and I just I haven't done this happened since I voted. You know, I my life hasn't gotten better as a group, as an individual, we know we can be successful. As a group, but none of these policies are giving me anything tangible. Yeah. that I can say, okay, like this was created through policy for black folks because of this particular part. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I know you hear this. Yeah, I do. I do. I do. I hear it. I hear it. As a black man, I know you hear it. Hendrell, look, man, like, don't help me. We ain't did, like, we look at the numbers, like, voting had, we, all of us getting incarcerated. You know, the home, home ownership is still 40, 43%. Like, things haven't changed since 1968. It's like, I know yeah. you know the stats, I know you hear it. So. I, Many that's how, that's the lens I think many black folks look at it when I when I think socially and economically like okay yeah we have the representation but what is that yielding us as a group tangible that we can economically specifically move forward in the United States yeah well you know locally we're always gonna feel that stuff quicker. Because, you know, local elected officials are fixing potholes and they're picking up trash and they're making sure that when the power go out, the utility company comes and fix it. From the federal level, uh, particularly the president from the presidency, we've got to think a little bit deeper. Okay. Uh, you think, of, let's think about... I'm going to get you a fiction. Like, it's, it's hitting with your shirt. You want to adjust it up? Yep. Perfect. Okay, that's good. Yeah, that's perfect. When we think about from... So, from the, from the presidency, yeah. we think about, you know, policing or uh, the Justice Department. Imagine not having a president or Justice Department who says when um, a George Floyd is killed by police that we're going to have the Justice Department come in and lead an investigation on this uh, in addition to what the state is doing. Imagine not having a president in the Justice Department who is willing to say you know what, what happened in Memphis with Tyree Nichols is not the, the way things should happen in this country. Not only did they make a good decision by you know arresting and charging these folks, but as a Justice Department, we've got to come in and, uh, and do more and investigate this and investigate these police departments for their practices. Imagine not having a president who's willing to come in or push, uh, or push an, uh, an issue where we saw under this president, you know, lynching, yeah. finally, you know, uh, illegal federally. Yeah. Um, imagine from the tax code, imagine not having a president or, or having to feel that impact of when that when it's time to pay taxes. Yeah. Um, imagine a president who is willing to tax uh, the ordinary person at a higher rate than they're willing to tax millionaires and billionaires. Uh, imagine having someone there who's who wants to uh, level the playing field for folks. From the educational standpoint, imagine not having a democratic president and a de democratic department of education. What that would mean for public school funding, which we know so many 
uh, black young young black folks depend on. Yeah. Imagine that president trying to eliminate the Department of Education mm -hmm. or push a charter school or choice school system model across the nation. Right. Imagine us being in a predicament where uh, voting rights are on the line and states are trying to strip black people of their rights to go out and vote. Imagine not having a Democratic president there and a president being okay uh, with the Justice Department not stepping in to say that's a violation of the Voting Rights Act or this is why we should keep the Voting Rights Act intact. Imagine the impact that they would have on, on black folks in this country. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously local politics is gonna play a, a, a more direct, quicker impact on people's lives because mm -hmm. we feel that every day we drive the streets we put our trash out you know we feel that they hire the police chiefs but from the presidency the tone is set on whether or not we create a fair and equal playing field where black folks in this country can get ahead and feel protected and their rights are protected yeah. or whether or not a republican president is going to be okay with the rights of black folks being trampled over, which we've seen under Republican presidents every single time, or whether or not the uh, the, the social safety nets that have been there to help protect uh, the black community from some of the systemically racist policies that has uh, pretty much just obliterated uh, most black people's opportunity to move up the ladder quicker, uh, whether or not we're gonna have a president that's okay with that. Right. And that's the difference that voting for a Democratic president makes in a country like ours. So what are your thoughts when you see blacks for Trump? <laughs> <laughs> do what I you, have to answer you, this? You got, do I thoughts? have to answer yes, that? This is deep this conversation. You have to answer that. What are your, when you see that blacks for Trump and everybody has their, you know, their, their right to vote and, and, and do whatever they want to do in politics is their, is their right. But when you see that, <laughs> Being black and then being the, the state chair of the Democratic Party, like what is what what, what comes to your mind initially? And have you ever had a, a conversation with a, a black Trumper? Yeah. Well, well, definitely, it's not my thing. Um, you'll never see me in one of those T-shirts. But um, but I, I think I, I think it's it's a it's a matter of people either being ill-informed, okay. or they have some interest that's aligned with policies that that he's helped to push i mean right. there's black folks out there who believe that the confederacy is okay um so i get it um but i think they're ill-informed yeah. and i think that they are aligning themselves uh with a political agenda and a political ideology that will in the end do more to harm than them than it will to help them right. even if it even if they benefit from it right. in the short span of time or in the short uh, and the shortcomings. I, I mean, it's hard for me to, pro I, I won't lie to you, it's extremely hard for me to process, especially after what we've seen yeah. and what we've heard from, from the former president. Yeah. It's hard to believe that there would be any black or brown person still standing up, waving their hand, saying, this is a person who I believe could fairly represent me, who would protect me and who would look out for me. Right. That person is not Donald Trump for black people. Right. Have, you, have you ever had conversations with any black folks of that? ideology um, politically um, and, and can those two forms or two types I guess of black folks coexist in today's time where you know clearly one may be Democrat 
and one is Republican or progressive or conservative, can those two type of black folks break bread together and have a civil, respectable conversation about politics or is it vastly just... I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think we are in such a hyper-partisan environment. Right. Doesn't matter if you're black or white. Uh, the political ideologies have driven us so far apart yeah. that it's hard to have a decent conversation about our differences and walk away being able to respectfully disagree. Right. I mean, there's been there's been black people who have said to me, you know, Donald Trump did more for black folks than than President Biden has done. And I always look puzzled at the end because I'm going, are you are you kidding me? Right. Are you kidding me? Tell me how. Yeah. Point me in the direction. Show me where he has stood up for black people. Show me where he has leveled the playing field for black people to be able to get ahead. Yeah. Show me where he has created a space where black Americans uh, feel equal in spaces with, with their white neighbors. So, yeah. you know, I, I just don't believe that, you know, Donald Trump has the interest of anyone besides Donald Trump. <laughs> I mean, he don't care if you're white, black, Asian, no, Hispanic. No, no, he cares no. about Trump. This is intriguing because you're in a very, you're in the, you're just in a very intriguing, and different position as a black man. On top of that, because we know that that they are they're black Republicans out yeah. there, and maybe you have to have conversations with those individuals sometimes. Um, and then you, and, you know, and, and it's already hard for black people in the United States in general, regardless yeah. of party. And, but now it's like, I am. I want to embrace you. I want to have some type of civil discourse with you. But like at this hyper partisan time that we're in, it's like. Well, for me, I ain't gonna lie. Selfishly, <laughs> I when I see black Republicans, I always like I always get pissed off. <laughs> I mean, I mean honestly, when I see and they say that guy's a Republican, it makes me say. I mean, it it makes me say something that really? that I won't repeat here, but because. How, in my opinion, I mean, it's like saying, you know, I'm going to go out and do the worst drug on earth and it's not going to impact me the way that it impacts everybody else who's addicted to this drug. Right. How can you wake up and say, I am going to go cast a vote for or invest my time in or believe in a party that clearly does not have my interests at heart, period? A party that is creating culture wars mm -hmm. based around my race. Yeah. A party that is trying to erase my history. Yeah. A party that is okay with making sure that my children don't have the same opportunities as other children. I mean, I just cannot phantom. I mean, I, I wouldn't ever be able to stomach the idea of voting for this Republican Party that currently exists yeah. today. Now, if... If somehow the roles were switched and their values became our values, I'd clearly be on that side. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but I don't foresee that happening. Yeah. And for me, it's just hard to stomach the idea yeah. that a black American would wake up yeah. and say, this is the party yeah. that uh, that has the best interests of black folks at heart. I mean, look at what they're trying to do. Yeah. Look at the position that they tried to take. Everything from CRT to banning books. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been ridiculous. And so I've had the I've had the pleasure of talking to a few black conservatives. Had <laughs> <laughs> this the, the pleasure, and there's a couple of them I want I want to definitely like introduce you uh, because what I what I found out through these particular conversations is socially, right? Yeah. They don't agree 
support what the Republican Party is doing socially. Economically, though, they're the party that's more in their self-interest when it comes to those things. Yeah. And so you have, that's that's a difficult spot, I guess, maybe to be in if you're a black Republican yeah. or just Republican in general, maybe, and you say, well, they have maybe the conservative economic values that I think are in my self-interest, but I don't agree with banning books. I don't it's, with. It's, it's those folks who call themselves fiscally conservative. Oh, exactly. I'm, I'm fiscally conservative. I'm fiscally conservative. Um, if you make over $400,000 a year, you're probably physically conservative. Okay. Um, let's not forget something. There are a lot of black people out here who are extremely religious. Um, and and they're they're very conservative in some of their uh, from their social aspects, uh, but they know that when it's time to to vote for a candidate or a party who is going to look out for their interests, whether or not they're socially conservative or or or, or, or liberal yeah. or, or far left as you can come, there's only one party in this country that has said. You can be who you want to be. Yeah. We're not going to isolate you. We are truly a big tent. Yeah. We're not going to make you feel less than just because you agree differently. Right. Now, we've said to Republicans, we're not going to give you the power to impose your beliefs on people. Yeah. And we've been the party to try not to do that, right. to give people a space to make the decision to be who you want to be and align with whatever type of ideology that you want to align with. I always think about Democrats as you know you pick the flavor. Right. You want your you want your uh, Democrat light blue, dark dark blue, or or or, or brand new blue. Right. I mean you get to pick the flavor of Democrat that you want. Yeah. On on the Republican side, it's it's one way right. in, one way out. Yeah. If you're not a part of the cult, then you're not truly a Republican. So yeah. you know there's a very different. It's uh, a projection which. That's where, like, for me, it's like, it's one thing if you have a personal belief to not live a particular lifestyle or not particularly do something yeah. as an individual, but it's like, what right do I have to impose that yeah. on you uh, or somebody else in general? Like, nah, like, everybody should, everybody should get ice cream, but whatever flavor you want, yeah. you can have, but everybody gets it type of thing or have the opportunity to get it or the choice to get it. So I'm with you on that, man. Um, this, is my, this, this, is, this, is, this is This is my thing. This is this man. You need to put in the word divide on me on this. <laughs> all right, reparations. Reparations. Right, reparations, man. Look, I, got I know we talked about this last time man, I was here. Man, we need. We look. We gonna keep talking. <laughs> about it. All right, look. We got. We look. This is what this is what the streets saying, man. I'm giving you what the streets are saying. Into the streets, you know. Um, you know reparations. The reparations fight. Um, actually, you know, we in the place Nashville. It's one of the places. One of the foundational places of the reparations movement. Right, um, we see all the money that us as a country is supporting Ukraine with, right? And so we look at we look back, especially as Black folks, and say, "Dang, okay, that's a lot of billions that's going out, you know." And we want, you know, cool, great support Ukraine, but you know, we we've been asking for like a reparations for 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 Black folks and those that are descendants of slaves, you know, for quite a time now. Um, if we can aid people abroad in this type of physical way, why can't we do the same here for people at home that built this country? Um, from a 
diplomatic democracy standpoint, are those conversations that people seem to have being had on the democratic side? Is there policies that are being talked about or bills that can be pushed? Um, and, is, is that, and is that something that can realistically happen in our lifetime through, through politics that we actually get to a point that where our country says, all right, we, we're going to finally cut these checks to, to, to black folks, black indigenous folks, descendants of slaves um, that they rightfully deserve. And so we can somewhat maybe catch up economically to our counterparts. You know, honestly, I mean, I, I don't, I, it's, it's hard to believe that it will happen in our lifetime. Yeah. I mean, I, just, just to just that's why you gotta talk to Biden. I mean, it's, 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 it's hard. You, it's, we need you to whisper, we need you to carry a note for us. It's hard to it's hard to believe that it will happen in our lifetime. I mean, even right now in California, yeah. where there's a big conversation about reparations and Democrats are in charge, there's still some real divides uh, and some 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 deep feelings about it. Uh, I think first we have to ask the question: What what does reparations look like for Black people in this country? Is it a check? I mean, we know Dr. King said, you know, we go to Washington, we come to get our check. We're coming to get our check. Uh, but but the reality is, what does that look like? What does reparations really look like? Does does it look like Black folks not p paying federal taxes anymore? Does it look like uh, Black people going to college, uh, going to college and un going to colleges and universities? Without having to, you know, pay or accrue more debt, uh, does it look like an injection in uh, investment and resources and in, in black banks for more home ownership and and business opportunities to, uh, through the SBA? I mean, we have to first decide what what does reparations really look like. Yeah. We know how difficult an argument that is where we say we just want to we want to give every black person in the country a million dollar check. I mean, we know what type of fight that's going to create, right. but I think it may. You know, if you're having a realistic conversation about reparations, yeah. I think everything has to be on the table. Yeah. What if there wasn't a check? Then what else could we do? Yeah. And uh, and I think that conversation has to start start yeah, there. It's a check and. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> think it's a check. It's not. No, I mean, if if. It's some other stuff. I mean, it's it's just not it's just not you know thinking about reparations, but yeah. think about the the harm that that black people faced because the federal government decided that, uh, okay, we're not going to impose the laws of reconstruction. Yeah. I mean, think about how different of a nation we'd been if, if the president would have continued moving forward with the laws that was established under reconstruction. Yeah. So I, I, think, I think states are having that conversation. I think a lot of city councils across the country are starting to have that conversation. There's either whispers that we're gonna start hearing those conversations here in the state from some local city councils. So I think, you know, I think it has to be a, a, a whole community, a holistic approach to, you know, what does reparations look like? Uh, how, how do we make sure that they're equally dispersed to everybody uh, if we do decide to do it in, a, in an equal way? And then uh, how do we make sure that it doesn't essentially end up bankrolling, uh, bankrupting our, our, our cities, our states, and, and the nation. Now, I, I'm under the thing that, you know, money seems to just come out of the blue most times, but, uh, but I think, I mean, it's a, I think it's truly a conversation worth having, but I think it's not one that's one-sided just based on a check. I think there's a holistic approach that we should be talking about when we talk about reparations. Yeah, like the United Nations actually has like a, um, like a five conditions of like 
for reparations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like it's compensation, it's like non-repetition, it's like rehabilitation. We talk about the trauma. So it's like it's like the five so I would encourage people like to Google that. Yeah. And then of, which is which I see which I seen as like one of the best breakdowns to kind of cover a vast majority of like elements and conditions is beyond the check. Yeah, and then you know a, a part of that too is is it is it solely the United States' responsibility to to give reparations to Black folks? I mean, there were a number of countries who were involved in the slave trade. Right. Uh, so I think the UN needs to be having a deeper conversation about the role that other nations also played, yeah. and, uh, and and them being able to. Pay up, <laughs> pay up a part of that, pay up a part of that, uh, a part of that bill as well. Right. So I think it's it's not just a, a us here in America conversation. Sure. I think it's an international conversation. Sure. Uh, there, slavery was an international business model right. that a lot of nations benefited from. Right. Uh, and you know, if we're gonna talk reparations, let's talk about who who all should be splitting that bill. Yep. I kind of want to end on. Uh, Next steps to 2024. Mm-hmm. We know presidential election is happening at the end of no, in November of 2024. Um, what should people be thinking about? What should people be doing now to get informed, educated? You know, um, there have been some forums, some panels happening on television um, with the Republican Party yeah. in particular. Um, what, 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 what should people be having as their minds on, man? In, 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 the importance of, of this 2024 election? First of all, folks folks should at least watch one Republican debate or forum um, so that they could clearly see why it's important to reelect Vice President Biden and uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris. <laughs> um, they should they should start doing their homework on uh, you know, the state house and state Senate candidates are going to be on the ballot here in our state because it's not just a presidential election that's happening here. There's state house races, state senate races that are going to be happening. And then there's a United States Senate race that's going to be happening here too uh, for us to finally, you know, get our get our next best shot at taking Marsha Blackburn out. Mm-hmm. And particularly in Nashville, uh, we have probably the only competitive congressional uh, seat in the state, Andy Ogles. Uh, we've got a we got to make sure that we do everything we can to to get this guy out of office in 2024. So we have a number of races that we should be focused on here in the state. Uh, obviously, we want to turn out in big numbers to to help uh, move the needle for the president and move the needle in the United States Senate race and and to get rid of and to get rid of Andy Ogles. Uh, but the reality is, people are going to have to be willing to do a little bit more than just sit at home and sideline coach. Uh, how, how can they send text messages? How can they knock on doors? How can they make phone calls? It's time to stop complaining and start lacing up those sneakers and getting out and do some work for some of these campaigns. Yeah. If you truly believe that we can do better and if you're truly tired of Republicans uh, running us through the ringer, then you need to get out and do a little bit more. But we've seen what historic turnout looks like in Tennessee. I mean, in 2020, we had 66, 67% turnout. It was historic for the state. Yeah. Um, well, they call but, us yeah. That was his, that was historic for the yeah. state, but we were still at the bottom in voter turnout compared to the rest of the nation. Yeah. So how can we keep that energy up in 2024? 
uh, but add some more Democratic votes on top of that. Uh, I'd like to see less Republicans in that 67 or 70 percent and more Democrats, uh, because then I know that it would mean a much different Tennessee. Uh, so Democrats have got to do more than complain. We've got to run for office and we've got to work our uh, tails off for people who are actually running for office. Yeah. Um, and if we do that, and if we're knowledgeable about the candidate, knowledgeable about the candidates who are out there, then we become the best mouthpieces for people who are disconnected or disengaged or, or, or who have no trust in this political, uh, this political climate. We become the best mouthpiece for the folks who trust us in our lives. Yeah. Uh, our loved ones, our, the folks who work with us every single day, even people who we just pass in a grocery store on a regular yeah. uh, who we've become familiar with. So there's going to be a whole host of things that people need to be engaged and involved on. But this United States Senate race is going to be imperative. Yeah. Uh, the 5th Congressional District in Nashville is going to be imperative. Uh, winning back some of the seats in the State House and the State Senate is going to be imperative. And then fighting like hell to make sure uh, that we can move the needle in Tennessee for uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris is going to be central to, to the overall goal. I don't think it's a long shot. I mean, if we turn out uh, in, in, in record numbers, because there's a whole lot of vote out there that can be turned out. Yeah. I mean, 67 percent. I mean, you, there, there's what almost 30 plus percent of people still not voting. Right. Who would that 30 percent support? Yeah. Where's that 30 percent coming from? So we've got to make sure that we're doing everything we can to engage and, and turn voters out. I know there's a lot of people who are out there registering voters, a lot of organizations that are out there registering voters. Great. But what good is it to just register voters right. when they don't turn out? So we're going to be focused on how we turn these voters out. Yeah. Get out the vote efforts are going to be on hyperdrive and on steroids mm -hmm. in 2024 for us. Well, look, man, you know, whatever I can do to support have on a platform, give them a chance to encourage people to vote for them, um, or not vote for them, depending on what they say to see. <laughs> depending on what you say right here, you know, you can go either way. But um, what what happens if, 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 if what's at stake if Biden doesn't doesn't win and a Republican member wins the presidency? I I don't want to dream of how dark the nation would be. On, on January the 20th, 2025, if, if we're swearing in a, a, a Republican, especially the candidates who we've seen on the Republican side. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've seen what, what they're on board for. Yeah. Uh, stripping away Social Security, uh, rolling, back, uh, rolling back tax breaks that have benefited ordinary folks, right. uh, handing our educational system over to whatever charter school that they uh, feel, is in, feel is the highest bidder. Uh, pulling out of uh, of the uh, the war in Ukraine and what that would mean for our national security when this president has done everything he could to strengthen us on the world stage again. Uh, imagine uh, one of these Republicans taking over and what that would mean for women's rights. Um, we've already seen a Supreme Court that uh, that has become that has become almost the assassin uh, hired and, and installed in place. By the, uh, by the by the by the Republicans and uh, in, in, in Congress, uh, think about what that would mean if another Supreme Court vacancy comes open while there's another Republican president there, one of these Republican candidates. I mean, I don't think we're in a position um, to 
turn a fragile democracy like ours, which Republicans have brought to the brink, uh, that we're in a position to turn this nation back over to the Republican Party right now because they have shown that they are irresponsible. They have shown that they do not have the best interest of the people of this nation or the, democ the fabric of democracy in this nation at heart. Uh, I think it would be a very, very, very dark day uh, for America if, uh, if one of the Republicans who are currently in this race uh, is, is elected. But we're going to work hard for President Biden and Vice President Harris. And I think their record is going to be, uh, is going to be what gets them reelected. He's been one of the most consequential presidents in American history. And we've got to make sure that we tell that message all across the state and all across the country. Oh, man, look, I appreciate the time, Andrew. I mean, this has been, this has been powerful and impactful. My last word would be, man, tell Biden. You know what I'm saying? You got to stop falling off the bikes. <laughs> you got to figure out where you're going when you're walking off. It don't look good, President Biden. You got to get you, you know what I'm saying, get it together. <laughs> I won't. I won't talk about the Trump versus Biden memes, but but I still rather have a Biden on the bike than Trump on a golf cart any day. <laughs> hey man, look, I'm like at some point, man, they gotta. I, it gotta be like an age limit or something, man. Of like, like gotta cap it off, man. <laughs> like retirement, man. Like you look, gotta. I, I, and I know, I know a lot of people have have been looking at what's happened with uh, Dianne Feinstein and, and Mitch McConnell. And, you yeah, know, yeah. and it, you know, it's the president said the other day, you know, talking about his age is fair. Yeah. But if you're going to talk about his age, talk about how this 83-year-old uh, president has been the most consequential. Talk yeah. about how this 83-year-old president has appointed more black federal judges than yeah. any other president. Talk about how this 83-year-old uh, president helped pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill Talk about how this 83-year-old president helped to end the pandemic, helped to put more money in people's pockets and, uh, and, and, and to keep businesses afloat in this country. Talk about how this 83-year-old president has created the best economic growth in America uh, than any other president in the last 50 years. So it's fair to talk about age, but also you need to talk about uh, the accomplishments that have come uh, with that age and that wisdom and that experience that the president has exhibited uh, in building relationships on the national stage, re-strengthening America's uh, standing in the world. So, you know, you gotta, we, we've got to see both sides both of that album. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, man, Andrew, man, I appreciate your time, man. I look forward to, to having you back on, especially as things heat up. Yes. <laughs> politically, to really kind of, like, give us what's the overarching perspective of what's going on, what people can do to engage, what's happening that people might not know about. Just with transparency, man, especially for the state of Tennessee. So, Man, you always spoke to me. I appreciate your time, man. And uh, until next time, man. Even though you're from Memphis, man. We get on, man. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, for sure. <laughs>